Why don't we go to the scripture that we've been using through this whole series, and that is in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5, and it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, are, they, are, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What do your weapons have? They have divine power to demolish what? Strongholds, something that you believe that just isn't true. We demolish arguments and every pretension or pretending, that word really means, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, not just for your life, but actually in regards to what God tells us. In fact, there's a great scripture that says this, that God's people perish because of a lack of knowledge. And the reason why we have a lack of knowledge is because 80% of Christians these days don't read their Bible. And so you don't actually know what God says and you don't actually know what God wants for your life. And so therefore you are susceptible to lies and you're susceptible to pretendings and arguments that the enemy throws your way because rather than being able to answer as Jesus did, it is written, we can't respond because we lack knowledge. It sets us up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought, we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. And this is the interesting thing about this scripture. It's just God provides us a way and God gives us the weapons to be able to destroy strongholds, but then he puts it back in our corner to do it. We have to do this. You know, I, I don't know about you, but while I was, when I was younger and, and growing up, my parents were pastors, and, and so I kind of uh, grew up on the coattails of my parents' Christianity. You know, if I had a bad situation like bullying going on at school, mum and dad prayed for it. Not me, they did it for me. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? But as we get older, we've got to get off the milk and onto the meat, and we've got to start doing things for ourselves, yes? That's one of the things that I love the most about my stage of life that I'm in is that I have children that can dress themselves, feed themselves, entertain themselves. They can even wipe their own bottoms. It's a great stage of life. I was talking to someone this morning who was woken up at 5 o'clock in the morning by their little toddler we, I don't have that problem anymore I have a problem of trying to wake them up at 11 o'clock in the morning to get them out of, it's it's a great stage in life and so we have to in our walk with God that God carries us in the beginning but just like growing up in a family there's a time for us to put our big boy and big girl pants on and to start to do things for ourselves and the scripture is saying I'll give you the weapons but you've got to use them you've got to use them to demolish strongholds and strongholds basically is living life by something that is not true. And when it comes to money, and I know we don't really like talking about money in church, and if you're a first-time visitor here this morning, it's not something that we talk about a lot. But the reality is there are a lot of strongholds in people's lives around money. There are a lot of things that we believe about money that just isn't true, and it causes us to have strongholds in our lives and the reason why we're talking about this this morning is because we had the prayer requests this morning that we prayed for and when you go through those prayer requests 50 percent of them are about money needing jobs or wage rises or new jobs or financial breakthrough money plays a big part in our lives yes yeah so it's something that we should talk about and find out what the scripture says so that we can operate in a way that brings god's blessing and not a way that destroys our worlds. Listen to this in Luke 
16, 9 to 13, Jesus is talking and he says this, he says, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon. We're going to talk about mammon in a minute and about what it is. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. And he who is unjust with what is least is also unjust in much. So the scripture is actually talking about money. And he's just saying here, really, that what you do with it actually matters. What you actually do with it actually matters. Verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, he will commit to your trust the true riches. In other words, if you haven't been faithful with what the money that you have, then who's going to give you even more? And if you've not been faithful with what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So he's really saying here in around money that you actually have some things that are actually not yours, they're somebody else's. You're just getting to manage them. You're just getting to look after them. No servant can serve two masters. In other words, you are serving one mindset or another mindset. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, let me explain something to you. Mammon is not, in some translations it says money. Mammon is not money. Mammon is a spirit around money. So you may think that your $10 or $20 in your pocket is not good or bad. It's neutral. Yes? $20 in Mother Teresa's hand goes to good. $20 in ISIS hands goes to evil. The money isn't evil, it's who touches it and what they do with it that determines whether the money is good or bad. Are you with me this morning? And so mammon is actually a spirit and it's saying here in Scripture that when it comes to your money, you have two choices that you are either serving one or the other and it's talking about the spirit around money. Now what is mammon? Mammon is actually a god uh, that, they, that they had back in those days it comes from a Syrian background, and it's the god of riches. But the Syrians actually got it from the Babylonians, and Babylon means, the word basically means confusion. And so whenever we start talking about mammon, or the spirit of mammon when it comes to money, we're talking about a spirit that causes confusion around our finances. Like, I've, heard, I've said this myself, and I've heard other people say it. I don't know what happens, it comes in, and it just goes straight out again. It's like I have holes in my pocket. No, you have teenagers. No, it's like I have holes in my pockets. I, it, just, it just, as quick as it comes in, is as quick as it goes out. And, and I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why we're not getting ahead. We seem to constantly be going backwards and never forwards. And, and there's this confusion around money. There's a confusion about what to do with it. And so whenever there's an issue in our lives around money, there's usually always an issue of confusion around what to do with our money. It brings a confusion to us. You know, that they, they say that the number one reason for divorce is money. The number one reason, they say, is money. Why? Because there's always fighting around money because there's confusion around money in marriage, and so there's a fight about it. You fight, let's be honest, if you've been married long enough, I've been married 24 years in May, and if there's two things that I can tell you that we've fought about in 24 years, it'll be the kids and it's money. 
Okay, I'm just the only one being honest this morning, but that's okay. But there's confusion. It creates a confusion around money, and that's why we hear from the government all the time. It's about money and needing more money, and where can we get more money? Because there's just confusion around money. And if I could explain to you how the government operates around money, it would be like this. You earn $50,000 a year, but you spend $80,000 a year, and then borrow another $200,000 a year to survive. That's how our government operates, because it actually doesn't understand what to do with money. It's confused, because the wrong spirit is on it, and it doesn't actually understand what it's meant to do. And so mammon really is a spirit of the devil, and that is why Jesus called him the thief, because he'll rob you of your finances if we buy into his mindset in and around money. He'll take it from you. In fact, the big threat when we read in the book of Revelation, the big threat from the Antichrist in the book of Revelation when we come to the end of this world is not nuclear threat. Did you know that? Everybody thinks that we're going to end up in some great big nuclear war and the world's going to be destroyed. And all that. That's not the threat that the Antichrist actually threatens us with. The Antichrist actually threatens us with an inability to be able to buy or sell without his mark. He's really saying, his threat saying to you is that you, if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you don't buy into mindset, you're going you're gonna to starve to death. That's the threat in the book of Revelation. It's not a nuclear war. Is that he's threatening you saying, if you don't do what I tell you to do, you're starved. So you've got to buy in to what I tell you to do when it comes to your finances. You know, I read an interesting article this week by two guys in America that, that wrote a book uh, around money, and, and, they, and they asked this question of people, and, and, and it's quite funny, some of the responses, but the question was this, what would you do, or what would you be willing to do for $10 million? What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Well, 25% of people said that they'd abandon their entire family. <laughs> so if there's four of you in your family, one of you is going to go, stuff you, I'm out of here. $10 million, thank you very much. All right, 25% said that they'd abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% said that they'll become a prostitute for one week or more for $10 million. Any takers? 16% said that they'll give up their citizenship and go live in another country. It's no big deal as long as it was like the Maldives or something like that, I could handle that. 10% said that they would withhold testimony letting a murderer go free for $10 million. It gets better. 7% said they'd kill a complete stranger. It's crazy, isn't it? And 3% said they'll put their children up for adoption. I think that's, that's, that figure's wrong. That should be like 25%. Yeah? How many parents here would give up your children for adoption for $10 million? Just raise your hand right now. I see the hand, I see the hand, I see the hand. We'll talk afterwards. Why? Because money actually has a spirit on it, yeah? It's not neutral. It either has God's spirit on it or it has mammon's spirit on it. See, when it has God's spirit on it, it's submitted to God to be used for the purposes of God, 
And then what happens is it never replaces God as number one in your life. See, what, when, when we do money God's way, then money has its rightful place and God always stays number one. God's always number one in our worlds. But the problem is, is that mammon lies to us and it gives us false promises. And so there's a whole lot of things that, that mammon lies to us about when it comes to our finances. But I'm just going to pick on three this morning and hopefully that'll help you. The first the lie that, that mammon makes is money will make me secure. Money will make me secure. If I have it, I won't have any problems. We actually have a saying, isn't it? We call it being financially secure. <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay to have money. I want to say that this morning. It's okay to have money, and it's okay to have lots of it as long as money doesn't have you. It's actually okay. But the friend... Money isn't your security. When you get told you have cancer, money doesn't secure you. Come on. It's not security. Proverbs 18.11 says this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Let me read that again. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. In other words, they've built their own fortified city, so they have to protect it. They have to put guards around it. I don't know about you. I don't want to have to protect my fortified city around my fortified I, I want God to protect. I want God to build a fortified city around me. And they imagine, or in other words, that word there means it's a lie. They imagine it's a wall too high to scale. Really? What about the global financial crisis? I bet you the whole lot of people there that thought that they were sweet until that hit. Money does not make you secure. Because the question you have to ask yourself if you think that money makes you secure is how much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginal eventualities? How much would you need? How much do you need? I'll tell you what the answer is, more than what you have right now. More than what you have right now. I just, I just need a little bit more and, and then when I get that little bit more, I just need a little bit more and and I just need a little bit more, and I just need a little bit more, friend, money has you then. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't secure yourself against all eventualities. It's not possible. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Hebrews 13, five to six says this, keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, I will never leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, he's saying, if you will let me build your fortified city, I'll be the one that protects it for you. So we say with confidence then, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals or mere men do to me? See, it's not about having money, it's about your heart towards it. It's the spirit that's on it. Um, you, some of you have heard me share this testimony before, but I went to a multi, multi, multi-millionaire's house in America when I was there once, and his house was worth $28 million, and he had a garage with like 12 cars in it, and Lamborghinis, and Porsches, and Ferraris, and all that, and I couldn't help but have a moment thinking, you know, surely he doesn't need this much money, he could, he could give some of that away to help others, and and the pastor that I was with realized that I was having those thoughts and said, 
I suppose you're thinking that he should, you know, give some of this money to help the poor and da 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 And I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, would you believe that this guy made a deal with God when he went into business at 25 years of age that if God would look after him, then God would, he would give God 90% of his income and keep 10% for himself. So everything that you saw today is, is what he's brought with the 10%. He gives 90% away. He went on to tell me that he pays the salary of 500 pastors in Poland every single year, pays their salary. Isn't that awesome? I'd love to be able to do that. You see, money doesn't make you secure. The other thing is, is that a lie that you'll be told is money will make me significant. So I, our identity gets wrapped up in the things that we have, the stuff that we have. This is why I've got to have a bigger, bigger and better home and a bigger and better car and, 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 and I've got, just, just got to increase all the time. And why? Why? I mean, we're, we're looking at building a house because we brought a section out at Glenbrook Beach and I'm thinking to myself, I'd like a four-bedroom home, but the reality is I have a 17-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son and, and, you know, that daughter could probably, within the next five years, not even be living with us. So do I really need a spare, spare room? Because her room will become a spare room unless she shifts back home You know what I'm saying? It's like, why? You know, and, the, and, and talking to one of the, the building companies, oh, you'll want two living areas. Why do I need two living areas? I have two teenagers that just live in their bedrooms. We don't need a second lounge. There's only me and Trinity and one of them. What's the other one going to do? Occupy the cat? I mean, it's just, what a waste of money building a secondary living area when I can just have one great big one and the kids just live in their bedrooms. It's, come on. If I have better stuff, people will respect me more. You know, don't let the things that you have define you. You know, whether you own a home or don't own a home doesn't make you a better or worse person. Come on, man, the, the stuff that you have doesn't define you. It doesn't. Trust me, I used to work for BMW in New Zealand for years. And I used to look after the VIP customers. These are the guys that are worth millions. And I can tell you now, some of the biggest jerks on the face of the planet. And some of them are lovely. But some of them are just, I can't really say from the front because that would be sinning. But they're just jerks. Arrogant jerks. Who think that they're awesome or significant because they have stuff. But nobody likes them. And after they leave, um, the building, after everybody's greased up to them and kissed their feet and everything because they're about to spend $250,000 on a car, everyone just stands there for the next 20 minutes talking about how big a beep they are. It doesn't, money doesn't make you significant. The Bible says this in Luke 12, 15. Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I've done a lot of funerals and I've never heard anyone ever get up and give a eulogy about what somebody owned. They had 10 rental properties, three cars, and a batch down at the beach. Nobody, nobody talks about that. Nobody cares 
what you owned when you die, what they talk about is this guy had just such a great heart. They were so giving. They were so caring. They were so, they talk about you, who you are, not what you have. It's a lie that the enemy is trying to get you to trust in instead of trusting in God if you think that money makes you significant. The third thing is, is that money will make you happy. Money will make you happy. You know, if that was true, the richest people in the world would be really, really happy. In fact, Tokyo would be the happiest place on the face of the planet because they say that, that Tokyo and, and its people per capita are some of the wealthiest people in the world, yet 270 people a day in Tokyo commit suicide. Money doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't make you happy. The more a person has, the more that they want. It doesn't make you happy. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, those who love money will never have enough. How meaninglessly, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You know what brings true happiness? Should I tell you what brings true happiness? Romans 4, 7 and 8 says this, happy are those whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned, Happy is the person whom the Lord does not consider guilty. I'll tell you what true happiness is, is knowing that you are saved, that you are delivered, that you are free from your sin. That's what happiness truly is. Money will never make you happy, but Jesus always will because he'll always love you. He'll always be there for you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never judge you. He'll never hold your sin against you as long as you always turn to him and say, here I am, God, Warts and all, but I need you. God will always come, and you'll always be happy in life. So how do we get God's spirit on our money and get mammon's spirit off? Please don't switch off now. And, and if you're a first time here, or even if you haven't been at church for ages, and you're like, yep, I, typical church, all it ever does is talk about money, and all it ever does is want your money. Listen to me. By the time I finish this, I want to say this before I even get into how to get God's Spirit on your money. You don't have to do anything that I tell you to do this morning. It is purely between you and God. I will never tell you what you have to do. I'm just going to show you what Scripture says, and then it's up to you what you do with it. Are you with me this morning? So don't ever go around saying, oh, Craig's making us do this, or Craig's... I will never make you do anything. All I'm going to do is show what the Scripture says, and it's your choice. All right? Okay, let's go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 to 12. It starts off with this, I, the Lord, do not change. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. I don't care what people tell you, oh, that was back then, this is now. God, No, God does not change. God does not change. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees or turned away from how I've told you to live, and you have not kept them. He's saying, return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God answers in tithes and offerings, and you are under a curse or a stronghold your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, that's 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. 
the storehouse is your local church that you're part of, and test me in this. It's the only time in Scripture that God says that we can test him. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room, enough for you to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vine in your fields will not drop fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty, and all the nations will call you blessed. Why? Because you're blessing them. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now this principle of tithes and offerings is a principle that I've grown up with and I've done it my whole life and I've always followed this principle and I can tell you now it always works and it's never let me down. As I shared a wee while ago, we, we were short on, on our deposit to secure our section and, and I had no way of getting that extra money in and lo and behold, one day I'm sitting there at lunchtime thinking, how are we going to do this? I check our bank account and there's $12,000 that somebody put in there. Don't know who or where it came from, it just rocked up. So the first thing I did is I took 1200 out and I gave it to Jesus because you always give the first 10% of whatever you get given to you. But I want to tell you, that was a miracle. That was an outside of my control thing. But I shouldn't have been surprised because when you follow God's ways, you always reap his rewards. It's gone kind of quiet now. My parents taught me the principle of tithes and offerings. And we even practice it as a church that 10% of all our income goes to missions, both locally, nationally, and internationally. We support pastors and preschools in Fiji and uh, we've done stuff in Vanuatu and we support Bible in schools, which is a local thing that happens here. And uh, we got Gina and Lizzie now in the, in the local intermediate as part of 10 hours a week of, of, of what we're doing missions-wise. We put on a national conference for our movement every year as part of our national mission, sowing into other churches and believing that God will do something. We, we practice this as a church and in all the years I've been in church and been in ministry I've seen this principle work over and over and over again in people's lives but there's always two narratives when it comes to this the first being the tithers that say that it works and don't know how God is always blessing them they've never gone without God always blesses them and those that tithe in the church would give a big amen to that in fact I could get a solo mum up here to talk about who, who, who's just said ever since she's been doing it, she's never gone without. She's always had everything that God's had. And then there's the other narrative, which is the narrative which says, Craig, nice that you're saying this, but I, I just can't afford to tithe. And I, and I say this as much, with as much love as I can in regards to that comment. And, and let me just say this, you'll never be able to tithe until you tithe. My dad would say to me, you can't afford not to because 90% with the blessing of God is better than 100% with the curse. And the thing is, the reason why we get so upset about this sort of stuff is because mammon wants to hold you hostage. But the thing that the Bible teaches that breaks the stronghold in regards to money and mammon is tithing. Why? Because we're saying the first goes to God. The first goes to God. I'm actually going to trust God with my finances. 
I'm going to trust him. And I know some of you are struggling right now with what I'm saying, but I'm just telling you the truth, and it's up to you. You do what you want with it. It's between you and God, not between me and you. I'm just, my job is to love you enough to tell you the truth. And so the three things that you need to do if you're going to break that stronghold of your life in regards to your money is return, first thing is return the first, all the first. You know that you're doing that right now today by being here in church. You're giving the first of your week, Sunday, the first day of the week, you're giving it to him. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. Trinity and I always give the first when it comes to, to, to our money. We've always done it, be it our salary, be it somebody given as a gift. Even when we sold our house, we tithed on the profit 10% of what we made on the profit of our house. Because why? Because I want to always put God first. I always want to make Him first. Deuteronomy 14, 22 to 23 says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. You know, when we do this, what we're doing is we're communicating to God that He's first in our lives. And I don't know about you, but, but I'm pretty sure that that's one of His most favorite things to hear. I think God loves it when we say, hey, you're first. You're first. You're first in the morning. You're first in my week. You're first in my finances. You're first. You're always first. I think it communicates that. And for all those that think, that tithing and that is of the Old Testament. Well, I'll give you a New Testament scripture that will help you out. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so when I come, no collection will have to be made. In other words, he's saying that you should be giving every week so that when I come to you, this is Paul, you don't have to take up a collection to look after me because the funds are already in the storehouse to take care of me. I will promise you this, if you will put God first in regards to your giving and you'll give your 10% to this house, we will make sure that we manage and steward the money so well that we never have to take up an offering outside of our offerings. I'll make a commitment to you that we'll, we will, if you will do what you do, then we will, what you should do, we will steward it in such a way that we never have to ask for more. I want to challenge you, if you're not a tither, to take 2018 and say, you know what, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you. I'm going to test you in this and see what you're going to do. I'm going to test you in this and see what you're going to do. You're like, but, 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 but what if it doesn't work? Well, if you're going through all sorts of problems now, it's not working what you're doing now. Why not give God's principles a try? The second thing that you need to do is always give God first. Second thing is you need to steward, steward the rest. This is a part that I don't think we understand properly is we give God our tithe and then we're just crazy with what's left and then we wonder why we never get ahead. You still need to steward your 90. You still need to steward it well. You still need to manage the rest of it well, yes? It does matter to God how you steward the rest. Remember, even though he's asking for 10%, the reality is the scripture teaches us that all that you have is given to you by him and it's all his. So even the 90% is still his. He just allows you to have it. 
He just allows, and he expects you to manage it well. You know, he who can be faithful in a little can be trusted with much. And so we need to get ourselves a budget and make sure that we're sticking to our budget. And, and I don't know about you, but, but, but we've got a budget and, and we stick to it pretty good. But the weeks that we don't stick to it well are the weeks where the takeaways go through the ceiling. You know what I'm saying about because you get home from work and you're too tired to cook and no one can be bothered and the fish and chip shop is just down the road. And so you go and spend $200 on groceries during the week so that you don't use any of it so you can go and spend another $100 on takeaways instead. It's not logical, is it? It's not sensical. So steward what is left really well. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, in other words, you know, Make sure you do, make sure you, you, you steward it well. Luke 12, 16 to 21 says, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance of harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night of your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will end forever who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. In other words, he's saying to him, you can build up all your own personal riches, but you're an idiot because one day, one day, your life will be required of you and then what? Then what? What then? The happiest life is a life focused on building treasures in heaven, enjoying what God has given them, but not consuming it all on themselves, but giving a portion of it to see how many people, how many people we can reach and get into heaven. Because you know what? The devil hates that. The devil hates a church that is fully resourced to reach a community. The devil hates a church that doesn't have to worry about where the next income is coming from because it knows it knows what the income is and it knows what we can do there are so many things that we are believing for here be it a daycare center be it a full-time cafe be it a before school and after school program be it school holiday programs be it all sorts of things which reach our community be it Christmas in the stadium, which would cost $25,000 for it. We do like a Christmas in the park, but we do it in the stadium down here in Pukekohe, and, and we give Christmas a Christ flavor for our community. And there's a church in Ashburton, New Life Ashburton, they do the same thing, and they get 15,000 people from their community turning up to Christmas in the park where they give it a God flavor in everything that they do. All of that is possible if God's kingdom is resourced properly. And the third thing that you've got to do if you want to break that spirit of mammon off your life is focus on true riches. Focus on true riches. You know the thing 
that is of the most riches is people. People are the most worthy thing you could ever help. People are the most worthy thing that we could ever give towards. Because every single person is created in the image of God. Every single person is created by God for God. And the greatest thing that we could ever do in our lives is go, you know what? You know what true riches are? It's not a better house and it's not a better car. I'm not saying that those things are bad. But what true riches are is, is what can I do to help to see people saved? To see the kingdom of heaven populated and the kingdom of hell, pl- pl- oh, what do you call it? Plundered. What's the best thing that I could do? I want to tell you, you will never, ever regret putting God first in your finances and seeing people saved and lives transformed. And the thing about when you put God first in your finances, you get transformed. You get blessed. You have God's favor upon your life. You get blessings that come your way. You, you get bills coming and somehow you pay them. You get, you get stuff happen, but somehow God comes through. I don't know how many times I've looked at my bank account to say, has extra money come in this week? Because I've got all this money left over. And there's never any extra that comes in. Just somehow there's money left over. And it just happens to be enough to cover the next bill that I'm not suspecting that's coming. It's just that God just goes, you know what? If you look after my house, I'll look after your house. If, if you look after my house, not only will I look after your house, but I'll pour out such a blessing that you can't contain it. So now it's not just a blessing for your house, it's a blessing for your friend's house and your neighbor's house and your family's house and your community's house and your high school and your primary schools and your intermediates and your businesses and your community people and the solo mums that are struggling and have been abandoned by their husbands because God wants to pour out so much blessing into your life that you become a blessing to everybody else's life and then all the nations of the world will call you blessed because you can bless him. As Paul said, I pray, God, that you give me so much that there's enough for me and for every good work that comes across my path. How amazing would it be that the church becomes the place that actually funds women's refuge the most, that actually is at the forefront of finding a cure for AIDS because it's putting so much money into it. There's finding a cure for cancer because it's putting so... How awesome would it be if the church was the forefront and all the things that the world thinks that it should be doing? How amazing would it be if we, the church, if we did our bit so that God could do His bit and together we say something amazing happen. Not just in Pukekohe and not just in Franklin, but in our nation and in our world. 